Episode 9 of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill Persistence The sustained effort necessary to induce faith the eighth step towards riches. Persistence is an essential factor in the procedure of transmuting desire into its monetary equivalent. The basis of persistence is the power of will. Willpower and desire, when properly combined, make an irresistible, irresistible pair. Men who accumulate great fortunes are generally known as cold-blooded and sometimes ruthless. Often they are misunderstood. When they have is willpower, which they mix with persistence and place take of their desires to ensure the attainment of their objectives. Henry Ford has been generally misunderstood to be ruthless and cold-blooded. This misconception grew out of Ford's habit of following through in all of his plans with persistence. The majority of people are ready to throw their aims and purpose overboard and give up at the first sight of opposition of misfortune. A very a few carry off the on despite all opposition until they attain their goal. These fews are the Ford's, Carnegie's, Rockefeller's and Edison. There may be no heroic connotations to the word persistent. But the quality is to the character of man what carbon is to steel. The building of unfortunate generally involves the application of the entire 13 factors of this philosophy. These principles must be understood. They must be applied with persistence by all who accumulate money. If you are following this book with the intention of applying the knowledge it conveys, your fastest as your persistence will come back Come will, when you begin to follow the six steps described in the second chapter. Unless you are one of the two of every hundred who already have a definite goal at which you are aiming and definite planning for its attainment, you may read the instruction and then pass on with your daily routine and never comply with those instructions. The author is checking up at this point because lack of persistence is one of the major causes of failure. Moreover, experience with thousands of people have proved that lack of persistence is a weakness common to the majority of men. It is a weakness which may be overcome by effort. The ease with which lack of persistence may be conquered will depend entirely upon the intensity of one's desire. Ah. Guys, I'm drinking water, man. The outro is checking up at this point because lack of persistence is one of the major causes of failure. Moreover, experience with thousands of people have proved that lack of persistence is a weakness common to the majority of men. It is a weakness which may be overcome by effort. The ease with which lack of persistence may be conquered will depend entirely upon the intensity of one's desire. The starting point of all achievement is desire. Keep this constantly in mind. Weak desire brings weak result. Just as a small amount of fire makes a small amount of heat. If you wow this line this line is awesome I have to underline it if you have you find yourself lacking in persistence this weakness may be remedied by building a stronger fire under your desire continue to read through to the end then go back to the chapter 2 and start immediately to carry out the instructions given in connection with the six steps the eagerness with which you follow this instruction will indicate clearly how much or how little you really desire to accumulate money if you find that you are indifferent, you may be sure that you have not yet acquired the money consciousness which you must possess before you can be sure of accumulating a fortune. 
Fortunes gravitate to men whose minds have been prepared to attract them, just as surely as water gravitates to the ocean. In this book may be found all the stimuli necessary to attune any normal mind to the vibration which will attract the objects of one's desire. If you find you are weak in persistence, entire your attentions upon the instructions contained in the chapter on power. Surround yourself with a mastermind group and the, through the cooperative efforts of the members of this group. You may develop persistence. You will find additional instructions of the development of persistence in the chapter and auto-suggestion and the subconscious mind. Follow the instructions outlined in this chapter until your habit nature hands over to your subconscious mind. A clear picture of your desire of objects of your desire. From that point on, you will not be handicapped by lack of persistence. Your subconscious mind works continuously while you are awake and while you are asleep. Spasmodic or occasionally efforts to apply the rules will be of no value to you. To get results, you must apply all the rules until the application becomes a fixed habit with you. In no other way you can develop the necessary money consciousness. Poverty is attracted to the ones whose minds favorably to it, as money is attracted to him whose minds have been deliberately prepared to attract it. And through the same laws, poverty consciousness will voluntarily size the minds which is not occupied with the money consciousness. A poverty consciousness developed into or develops without conscious applications of habits favorable to it. The money consciousness must be created to order unless one is born with such a consciousness. Guess the full significance of the statement in the preceding paragraph and you will understand the importance of persistence in the accumulations of a fortune. Without persistence, you will be defeated. Even before you started with persistence, you will win. If you have ever experienced a nightmare, you, you will realize the value of persistence. You are lying in a bay, bed, half awake, with great while someone steps out from the long processions of the seekers, and the wall hears that another person has mastered Broadway. But Broadway is not easily nor quickly conquered. She acknowledge talents, recognize genius, pay off in the money only after one has refused to quit. Then, we know he has discovered the secrets of how to conquer Broadway. The secret is always inseparably attached to one word, persistent. The secret is told in the struggle of Fanny Hurst, 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 whose persistence conquered the great white way. She came to the New York in 1950 to convey writing into riches. The conversion did not come quickly, but it came from four years. Miss Hurst learned that sidewalks of New York from first-hand experience. She spent her day laboring and her nights hoping when hope grew dim. She did not say, all right, Broadway, you win. She said, very well, Broadway. You may whip some, but not me. I'm going to force you to give up. One publisher, the Saturday Evening Post, sent her 30 six rejection slips before she broke the ice and got a story across the average writer like the average in the others walks of the life would have given up the job when the first rejection slip came she pounded the payment for four years to the turn of the publishers no because she was determined to win then came the payoff the spell had been broken the unseen guide and tested fanny hers and she could take it from the time on publishers and made a beaten pet to her door. Money came so fast she hardly had time to count it. Then the moving picture went suddenly discovered her and money came not in the small chance but in floods.
the moving picture writes to her latest novel, Great Laughter, brought one stain, hundred thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand dollars, set to the highest price ever paid for a story before publication. Her ro royalties from the sale of the book probably will run much more. Briefly, you have a description of what persistence is capable of achieving. Fanny Hearst is no exception. Wherever men and women accumulate great riches, you may be sure that they first acquire persistence. Broadway will give any baker a cup of coffee and a sandwich, but it demands persistence of those who go after the big stacks. Kate Smith will say, Amen, when she read this. For years she sang without money and without price, before any microphone she could reach. Broadway said to her, Come and get it, if you can take it. She did take it until one day Broadway got tired and said, Ow, oh, what's the use? You don't know what you are with. So name your price and go to work in earnest. Miss Smith named her price. It was plenty. Away up to figures so high that one's week salary is far more than most people's make in a whole year. Verily, it pays to be persistent. And here is an encouragement statement which carries with a suggestion of great insignificance. Not insignificance, great significance. Oh, sorry. It's great significance. Thousands of singers who excel Kate Smith are walking up and down broadly looking for a break without success. Countless others have come and gone. Many of them sang well enough, but they failed to make the grade because they lacked the courage to keep on keeping on, until Broadway became tired of turning them away. Persistence is a state of mind, therefore it can be cultivated like all states of mind. Persistence is based upon definite causes among the, this definiteness of purpose, knowing what one wants is the first and perhaps the most important steps towards the development of persistence. A strong motive forces one to surmount many difficulties. Desire. It is comparatively easy to acquire and to maintain persistence in pursuing the object of intense desire. Self-reliance. Belief in one's ability to carry out a plan encourages one to plan the, follow the plan through with persistence. Self-reliance can be developed through the principle described in the chapter on autosuggestion. Definiteness of plan. Organized plan, even though they may be weak and entirely impractical, encourage persistence. Accurate knowledge. Knowing that one's plans are sound, based upon experience or observation, encourage persistence. Guessing instead of knowing, destroy persistence. Cooperation. Sympathy. Understanding and harmonious cooperation with others tend to develop persistence. Willpower. The habit of concentrating one's thought upon building of plans for the attainment of a definite 164, 164 pages, 165, 166, 165 purpose leads to persistence. Habit. Persistence is the direct result of habit. The mind absorbs and becomes a part of daily experiences upon which it feeds. Fear the most of all enemies can be effectively cured by forced repetition of act of courage. Everyone who has seen active service in war knows this. Before leaving the subject of persistence, Take inventory of yourself and determine in what particularly, if any, you are lacking in this essential quality. Measure yourself courageously point by point and see how many of the eight factors of persistence you lack. The analysis may lead to discovery that will give up a new grip on yourself. Symptoms of lack of persistence. Here you will find the real enemies which stands between you and noteworthy achievement. Here you will find here you will find not only the symptoms indicating weakness of persistence, but also the deeply seated subconscious cause of this weakness. Study the list carefully and face yourself squarely, if you really wish to know who you are and what you are capable of doing. 
These are the weaknesses which must be mastered by all who accumulate riches. Failure to recognize and to clearly define exactly what one wants. Procrastination, with or without cause, usually backed up with a formidable array of alibis and excuses. Lack of interest is acquiring specialized knowledge. Indecision, the habit of passing the buck on all occasions instead of facing issues squarely, also backed by alibis. The habit of relying upon alibis instead of creating definite plans for the purpose for the solutions of problem. Self-satisfaction. There is but little remedy for this affliction and no hope for those who suffered from it. Indifference, usually reflected in one's readiness to compromise on all occasions, rather than meet opposition and fight it. The habit of blaming others for one's mistake and accepting unfavorable circumstances as being unavoided. Weakness of desire due to neglect in the choice of motives that impel action. Willingness being eager to quit at the first sign of defeat based upon one or more than six basic fears. Lack of organized plans placed in writing where they may be analyzed. The habit of neglecting to move on ideas or to grasp opportunity when it presents itself. Wishing instead of willing. The habit of compromising with poverty instead of aiming at riches. General absence of ambition to be in and to go down and to own. Searching for all the shortcuts to riches, trying to get without giving, a fair equivalent usually reflected in habit of gambling, endeavoring to drive sharp bargains, fear of criticism, failure to create plans and to put them into actions because of what people will think, do or say. This enemy belongs at the head of the list because it generally exists in one's subconscious mind where its presence is not recognized. See the six basic spheres in the later chapter. Let us examine some of the symptoms of the fear of criticism. The majority of people permits relatives, friends, and public at large to so influence them that they cannot live their own lives because they fear criticism. Huge number of people make mistakes in marriage, stand by the bargains, and go through life miserable and unhappy because they fear criticism which may follow if they correct the mistakes. Anyone who has submitted to this form of fear knows the irre irreparable damage it does by destroying ambitions, self-reliance, and the desire to achieve. Millions of people neglect to acquire belated educations after having left school because they fear criticism. Countless numbers of men and women, both young and old, permit relatives to wreck their lives in the name of duty because they fear criticism. Duty does not require any person to, to submit to the destructions of his personal ambitions and the right to live his own life in his own way. People refuse to take chances in business because they fear the criticism which may be followed if they fail. The fear of criticism is much in such cases stronger than the desire for success. Too many people refuse to set high goals for themselves or even neglect selecting a career because they fear the criticism of relatives and friends who may say don't aim so high. People will think you are crazy. When Andrew Carnegie suggested that I devote 20 years to the organization of a philosophy of individual achievements, my first impulse of thought was fear of what people might say. The suggestion set up a goal for me, far out for proportion to any I have ever conceived. As quick as a flash, my mind began to create alibis and excuse all of them, traceable to the internet fears of criticism. Something inside of me said, you can do it. You cannot do it. The job is too big and requires too much time. What will your relatives think of you? How will you earn a living? No one has ever organized a philosophy of success. What right have been 
What right have you to believe you can do it? Who you are anyways to aim so high? Remember, your humble bird, what do you know about philosophy? People will think you are crazy and they did. Why hasn't some other person done this before now? This and many other questions flash into my mind and demand attention. It seems as if the whole world, whole world has suddenly turned its attention to me with the purpose of ridiculing me into giving up all desire to carry out Mr. Carnegie's suggestion. I had a fine opportunity then and there to kill off ambitions before it gained control of me. Later in life, after having analyzed thousands of people, I discovered that most ideas are stillborn and need the breath of life injected into them through definite plans of immediate actions. The time to nurse an idea is at the time of its birth. Every minute it lives gives it a better chance of surviving. The fear of criticism is a bottom of the destructions of most ideas which never reach the planning and action stage. Many people believe that material success is the result of favorable breaks. There is an element of grounds for the belief. But those depending entirely upon luck are nearly always disappointed because they overlook another important factor which must be present before one can be of sure success. It is the knowledge with which favorable, favorable breaks can be made to order. During the depression, W.C. Fields, the comedian, lost all his money and found himself without income, without a job and his means of earning a living vaudeville no longer existed. Moreover, he was past 60 when many men considered themselves old. He was so eager to stage a comeback that he offered to work without pay in the new film movies. In addition to his trouble, he fell and injured his neck. To many, that would have been the place to give up and quit. But fields are persistent. He knew that if he carried on, he would get the break sooner or later. And he did get them, but not by chance. Mary Dressler's found herself down and out with her money gone with no job when she was about 60. She too went after the breaks and got them. Her persistence brought an astounding trump date in life, long beyond the age when most men and women are doing with ambitions to achieve. Eddie Cantor lost his money in the 1929 stock crash, but he still had his persistence and his courage. With this plus two prominent eyes, he exploited himself back into an income of $10,000 a week. Verily, if one has persistence, one can get along very well without many other qualities. The only break anyone can afford to rely upon is a self-made break. This comes through the applications of a persistence. The starting point is the definiteness of purpose. Examine the first hundred people you meet. Ask them what they want most in life, and 98 of them will not be able to tell you. If you press them for answer, some will say security, many will say money, a few will say happiness, and others will say fame and power, and still others will say social recognition, ease in life, ability to sing, dance or write, but none of them will be able to define these terms or give the slightest indications of a plan by which they hope to attain this vaguely expressed wishes. Wishes do not respond to the wishes, they respond only to definite plans backed by definite de desire through constant persistence. How to develop persistence? There are four simple steps which led to the habit of persistence. They call for no great amount of intelligence, no particular amount of education, but little time or effort. The necessary steps are a definite purpose backed by burning desire for its fulfillment, a definite plan expressed in continuous action, 
a mind closed tightly against all negative and discouraging influence, including negative suggestions of relatives, friends, and acquaintance. A friend alliance with one or more persons who will encourage one to follow through with both plans and purpose. And when, and when a kinder spirit, wait, 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 wait. These four steps are essential for success in all walks of life. The entire purpose of the Tartan principle of this philosophy is to enable one to take these four steps as a matter of habit. These are the steps by which one may control one's economic destiny. They are the steps they may lead to freedom and deep independence of thought. They are the steps that lead to riches in small or great qualities. They lead the way to power, fame, and worldly recognition. They are the four steps which gradually favorable breaks. They are the steps that convert dreams into physical realities. They lead also to the master of fear, discouragement, indifference. There is a magnificent reward for all who learn to take this four step. It is privilege for writing one's own ticket and of making life yield whatever price is asked. I have no way of knowing the facts, but I venture to conjecture that Miss, Mrs. Wallis Simpson's great love for men was not accidentally nor the result of favorable breaks alone. There was a burning desire and a careful searching at every step of the way. Of the way. Her first duty was to love. What is the greatest thing on the earth? The master called it love. Not man-made rules, criticism, bitterness, slanders, or political marriage, but love. She knew what she wanted, not after she met the Prince of Wales, but long before that. Twice when she had failed to find it, she had the courage to continue her search, to think on self be true, and it must follow at the night of the day. Tao can't not then be false to any man. Her rise for obscurity was the slow, progressive persistence order. But it was sure she tramped over unbelievably long odds and no matter who you are or what you may think of Wallis Simpson or the king who gave up his crown for her love, she is an astounding example of applied persistence, an instructor of the rules of self-determination from where the entire world might profitably take lessons. When you think of Wallis Simpson, think of one who knew what she wanted and sued the greatest empire on earth to get it. Women who complained that, that this is a man's world, that women do not have an equal chance to win, owe it to themselves to study carefully the life of this unusual woman, who at an age with, which most women considered old captured the affections of the most desirable bachelor in the entire world. And what of King Edward, what lessons may we learn from his part in the world's greatest drama of recent times? Did he pay too high a price for the affections of the woman of his choice? Surely no one but he can give the correct answer. The rest of us can only conjecture. This much we know. The king came into the world without his own consent. He was born to great riches without requesting them. He was persistently sought in marriage, politicians and statesmen throughout Europe those dowagers and princes at his feet. Because he was the firstborn of his parents, he inherited a crown which he did not seek and perhaps did not deserve. For more than 40 years, he was not a free agent, could not live his life in his own way, had but little privacy, and finally assumed duties inflicted upon him when he was ascended the throne. Some will say with all these blessings, King Edward should have found peace of mind, contentment, and a joy of living. The truth is that back of all privilege of a crown, 
all the money, the fame and the power inherited by King Edward, there was emptiness which could be filled only by love. His greatest desire was for love. Long before he met Wallis Simpson, he doubtless felt his great universal emotional emotion tugging at the strings of the of his heart, beating upon the door of his soul and crying over out expressing expression. And when he met a kindred spirit crying out for this same holy privilege of expression, he recognized it and without fear of apology opened his heart and bade it, bade it enter. All the scandal mongers in the world cannot destroy the beauty of this international drama, through which two people found love and had courage to face open criticism, renounce all else to give it holy expressions. King Edward's decision to give up the crown of the world's most powerful empire for the privilege of going the remainder of the way through life with a woman of his choice was a decision that required courage. The decision also had a price, but who has the right to say the price was too great? Surely not who, he who said, He among you who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. As a suggestion to any evil-minded person who chooses to find fault with the Duke of Windsor, Windsor, because his desire was for love and for openly declaring his love for Wallis Simpson and giving up his throne for her, let it be remembered that the open declaration was not essential. He could have followed the customs of clandestine liaison which has prevailed in Europe for centuries without giving up either his throne or the woman of his choice and there would have been no complaint from either church or lighty. But this unusual man was built of sterner stuff. His love was clean. It was deep and sincere. It represented the one thing which above all else he desired. Therefore he took what he wanted and paid the price demanded. If Europe had been blessed with more rulers with the human heart and the traits of honesty of ex-King Edward for the past centuries, that unfortunate hemisphere now sitting with greed, hate, lust, political convenience and trait of war would have been different and a better story to tell a story in which love and not hate would rule. In the words of Stuart Austin, where we rise our cup and drink this toast to ex-King Edward and Wallis Simpson, blessed is the man who from the blackest deep can see the luminous figure of love, and sing, sing and singing say, sweeter far than outer lace are the thoughts I have of you. In these words would be paid tribute to the two people who more than all of others of modern times have been the victims of criticism and the recipients of abuse because they found life's greatest treasure and claim it. Mrs. Simpson read and approved this analysis. Most of the world will applaud the Duke of Windsor and Wallis Simpson because of their persistence in searching until they found life's greatest reward. All of us can profit by following their example in our own search for that which we demand of life. What mystical power gives to men of persistence the capacity to master difficulties? Does the quality of persistence set up in the one's mind some from spiritual, mental or chemical activity which gives one access to supernatural force? Does infinite intelligence throw itself on the left, itself on the side of person who still fights on after the battle has been lost? With the whole world on the opposing side. This and many other similar questions have arises in my mind, as I have observed men in, like Henry Ford, who started at scratch and built an industrial empire 
of huge proportion, with little else in the way of beginning but persistence. Or Thomas A. Edison, who with less than three months of schooling, became the world's last leading inventor and converted persistence into the talking machine. The moving picture machines and the incandescence light to say something, to say nothing of half of hundred other useful inventions. I had the happy privilege of analyzing both Mr. Edison's and Mr. Ford year by year over a long period of years and therefore the opportunity to stand them at a the close range. So I speak from actual knowledge when I say that I found no quality safe persistence in either of them that even remotely suggested the major source of their stupendous achievement. As one makes an impartial study of the prophets, philosophers, miracle, men and religious leaders of the past, one is drawn to the in inevitable conclusion that persistent concentrations of effort and definiteness of purpose were the major source of their achievements. Consider for example the strange and fascinating story of Muhammad. Analyze his life, compare him with the men of achievements in this modern age of industry and finance, and observe how they have one outstanding trait in common persistence. If you are keenly interested in studying, studying the strange power which gives potency to persistence with a biography of Muhammad, especially the one by Isaid Bey, this brief review of that book by Thomas Sargiu Sugriu in the Herald Tribune will provide a preview of the rare trait in the store for those who take the time to read the entire story of one of the most astounding examples of the power of persistence known to civilization. The, la the last great prophet revealed by Thomas Sarriu. Muhammad was a prophet, but he never performed a miracle. He was not a mystic. He had no formal schooling. He did not begin his mission until he was 40. When he announced until that he was messenger of God, bringing word of the true religion, he was ridiculed and labelled a lunatic. Children treat him and women drew filth upon him. He was banished from his native city, Mecca, and his followers were stripped of their worldly goods and sent into desert after him. When he had been preached ten years and he had nothing to show for it but banished men, poverty and ridicule, yet, another, yet before another ten years had passed, he was dictator of old Arabia, ruler of Mecca and the head of new world religion which was to sweep to the Anube and the Pyrenees before exhausting the impetus he gave it. The impetus was threefold, the power of words, the efficiency of prayer and man's keenness with God. His career never made sense. Muhammad was born to impoverished members of leading family of Mecca, because Mecca, the crossroads of the world, home of magic stones called the Gaba, Kaaba, Great city of trade and the in center of trade roads was unsanitary. Its children were sent to a race in the desert of Baydowns. Muhammad was thus nurtured, drawing strength and health from the milk of nomad, vicarious mothers. He tended sheep and soon hired out to rich widow, widow as a leader of caravans. He traveled to all parts of the eastern world, talked with many men of diverse beliefs, and observed the decline of Christianity into varying sects. When he was 28, Khadija, the widow, looked upon him with a favor and married him. Her father would have objected to such a marriage, so she got him drunk and held him up while he gave the paternal blessing. For the next 12 years, Muhammad lived as a rich and respected and very shrewd trader. Then he took 
to wandering in the desert and one day he returned with the first verse of the Quran and the told Khadija that the Archangel Gabriel had approached, appeared to him and said that he was to be the messenger of God. The Quran, the revealed word of God, was the closest thing to a miracle in Muhammad's life. He had not seen a poet. He had known gifts of God. He had the words of the Quran as he received them and recited them to the faithful were better than any verse which the professional poets of the tribes could produce. This is to the Arabs was a miracle. To them, the gift of God was the greatest gift. The poet was all-powerful. In addition, the Quran said that all men were equal before God, that the world should be democratic state, Islam. It, is, was, it was this political heresy plus Muhammad's desire to destroy all the 360 idols in the con courtyard of the Kaaba, which brought about his banishment. The idols brought, brought the desert tribe to Mecca and that meant trade. So the businessmen of Mecca, the capitalistic of which he had been one, set upon Muhammad. Then he retreated to the desert and demanded sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty over the world. The rise of Islam began. Out of the desert came a flame which could not be extinguished. A democratic army fighting as a unit and prepared to die without wincing. Muhammad had invented the Jews and Christians to join him, for he was not building a new religion. He was calling all who believe in one God to join in a single faith. If the Jews and Christians had accepted his invitation, Islam would have conquered the world. They didn't. They could not even accept Muhammad's innovation of human warfare. When the armies of Prophet entered Jerusalem, not a single person was killed because of his faith. When the crusaders entered the city, Centuries later, not a Muslim man, woman, or child was spared, but the Christian did accept one Muslim idea, the place of learning, the university.